And we're back. It's episode 14. Brady Stiff and Kelsey Lachlan, along with the research bitch, Owen Stiff. Hey, guys. How we doing? Pretty fantastic. How about you? Doing all right. Doing all right. Halfway vaccinated since last time we spoke. Congrats. That's exciting. Thank you. How are you feeling? I felt fine. I, uh, I My arm was a little sore, and I thought I might have felt a little bit of like a uh, a chill coming on, but I, no, I was, I was fine. Just a little bit of arm soreness. You know what the most romantic thing I've ever heard is? Anne goes, uh, you should get the shot in your right arm because you have softball on Sunday and you're a lefty. <laughs> God damn, that Thinking woman's ahead. a keeper. <laughs> she is a keeper. Yeah. Don't you dare let her go. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we, so, uh, we just signed up for ours on Friday. So oh, nice. Congratulations. This, uh, this podcast is going to be... Well, vaccinated up in here pretty soon. <laughs> and and Owen was fully vaccinated. So Owen, why don't uh, why don't you talk about your experience a little bit? Um, yeah, it was a lot different than it sounds like most people are going through now because I was considered in the first group of people eligible um, because I fall under the healthcare community. Though I waited um, because there are healthcare people that are doing much more than I am. But um, yeah, I got mine back in January and February and. The first shot was fine. It was a little sore. The, I just compared it to like a hard shoulder day in, in the gym. Um, I don't know one, what that feels like. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so what's yeah. this gym you speak of? <laughs> Which is any, any day in the gym for me now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, the second shot was uh, much more painful, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I definitely felt the, the effects. Um, I did a lot of researching. Um, prior, like the day of, I basically woke up the day after the second shot, feeling like every joint was stuck together and I was very sore and, um, throughout the day, just experienced a lot of headaches and joint soreness, um, which is like a typical sinus infection for me. Like I think everyone has their basic illness symptoms that they feel mine was just ramped up to a hundred. Um, but after 24 hours, it was fine. I actually had to be at work at 5 a.m. (laughs) <laughs> two days after the tur- uh, my shot, I, I took the day off of work the day after uh, the day after my shot. But um, the next day, I woke up at like four a.m. like ready to go, and I'm not a morning person, but I was like amped up, ready to go. <laughs> I, I, it was weird, but um, we're, we made it to the other side now. So I do not have a third arm, or I'm speaking another language, or any of the. Mis- You're being tracked though with yeah. the Probably, microchip, yeah, so whatever. there's that. There, they already have my phone. Whatever. I say that you're being tracked <laughs> with your phone anyway. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, cheers to all of us for uh, getting vaccinated. And uh, Kevin and Kelsey, I know you guys weren't exactly like looking, but uh, I know, was it Monday that um, everybody 16 plus in Illinois became eligible? I believe so. And actually, we did get this um, appointment through a friend and it's a, it's an excess vaccine for a company. And they didn't get enough people who actually work at the company signed up. So they opened it up to friends and family. So we lucked out. Um, Although I think it's going to become more common. Our concern is that now that it's open, it'll be hard to find um, because everyone will be going. I had tried a couple different ways to look and hadn't had any luck. So I said, let's take this one. Yeah, I I was originally trying to go through the Cook County uh, website, and that was just an absolute shit show. And yeah, that's a rough one. The The website was overloaded, couldn't get anything to, you know, load up as far as an appointment. And then I, I got as far as like putting in my information one time and then it said, no, 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 it's already been booked. I was like, well, OK. Yeah. Then they sent me an email at 7 p.m. on a random night uh, saying I could 
um, register for a vaccine at 6 p.m. that same night. So, you know, an hour after I was able to register for the vaccine. Luckily, I, I follow this guy on Twitter who is uh, he works for Shaw Local, which is a, a media company. And um, every day around noon, he puts out a, a covid thread summarizing the day's numbers and, and breaks it down by region. Uh, but he retweeted something. Uh, I guess Shaw Local had like a, a vaccine availability tracking website where every hour they might update where vaccines are available. So I, I, I got it at Jewel. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> vaccine and produce all in one day. <laughs> <laughs> they did give me a there. 10% off coupon for uh, for Manex grocery purchase. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> what's been What's been interesting just like hearing your experience and compare it to my own experience and just what I've heard is like when, when I signed up, I basically got the link through my company, through other clinicians. And it took me to a hospital um, because it was so limited. You couldn't go to, there's like three places that you could go. And I basically just waited. I just, every day I reloaded the page and if it said it was available, it was available. One day I hit reload and there was two appointments for tomorrow. I was like, great. But going back to like, how people are experiencing it now, it's crazy. And I think the two comparisons that I've heard throughout the pandemic are um, when it first began, the self-governing system of putting your grocery cart away is much similar to like how we should be treating this pandemic or something like that. But it was just, in, it's like an everyday thing and compared it to self-governing through the pandemic, wearing a mask, social distancing and taking on the responsibility of protecting others. And now with the vaccine coming out, it's much like um, a, there's a fire happening in a crowded room. And though you're taught to go through the door in a single file line calmly, at the end of the day, it is a mad dash. Get yourself out the door as fast as you can. And in this case, the door is getting the vaccine. And I, I feel like that's what we're experiencing is once it became available to larger groups of people, it is the... I don't care about you. I care about me. Get me out the door now. And if mm -hmm. I have to go over you and you hear about people getting their, um, their second doses stolen from them because they're posting their picture on social media. Um, you know, just all these crazy stories. It's sad to hear, but um, I guess it's, it's part of the chaos and something we just kind of have to fight through the, the adversity of what's been, you know, a very adversity heavy 14 months, 13 yeah. months, whatever it's been. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, let's um, Kelsey just jumped off here, so we'll wait to uh, get her back on. But uh, let's hear what we messed up last week. Set the record straight for us. Yeah. You guys actually, since bringing me on, you guys have toned down on what's being asked of me, which I don't know <laughs> if, it, if that's a test of my creativity. No, it's it's, un, if... it's unintentional because I think we, we talked <laughs> after we recorded last week and realized there just wasn't much to uh, – to talk about, but um, yeah. I, I know you, you came up with some stuff regarding um, becoming a professional in different sports and the different paths that young athletes have to take. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hit on that last because I think that'll be a bigger topic, but um, because of the, the decreased ask, um, I've gotten creative. I've created segments for myself. So um, we'll start off with our word of the day. Um, Brady, you have used the word vindicated, and I think Kelsey even mocked you a little bit in the last episode, Probably. but you were Would feeling very time. vindicated. Um, first off, can you spell vindicated? V-I-N-D-I-C-A-T-E-D. Ding, ding, ding. Nice job. You are now one for two. 
in the uh, and we're back spelling bee. I like that. Um, but no, I do believe that you did not use the word properly. Really? Ooh. So when I looked up the definition of vindicated, two definitions, one was show or prove to be right or justify. Um, the second definition was clear someone of blame or suspicion. But you spoke about feeling very vindicated at Gonzaga losing, but I took it a little bit more as you just wanted them to lose, not as though you felt that they were going to lose. So I don't know, Kelsey, <laughs> you could be the dividing line here, but I, I, I think Brady used that word out of context. I think I have to disagree. It made ah. sense. To, it made sense to me when he said it. It did. He, <laughs> see, and now he's vindicated, I guess, again. Yeah, he's vindicated again. <laughs> vindicated the double vindication. My use of vindicated, yes. Um, uh, I really so, did not take a chance to disagree with Brady. So <laughs> give me another one. Come on. Um, well, we got to wait till next week, one at a time. Oh, um, okay. New segment, uh, a little bit of history <laughs> for us. Um, so on this day, and I took two days, one is the day that we're recording, which is Tuesday. And then Brady, you said Wednesday, this should be out. So um, right. two on this days. on this day, April 13th, 1997, Tiger Woods wins his first masters. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Look at Monumental. that. Uh, trivia question for Kelsey. How old was Tiger? 21. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> no way that you knew that. I read. Great guess. <laughs> um, and then uh, April 14th, um, on this day, John Wilkes Booth shoots Abraham Lincoln. Ooh. Wow. Okay. April 14th, 1865. Yeah. What about the the Titanic? Because that came up in the April twelfth. April twelfth. Okay, ah, just missed it. Into just missed the it. Thirteenth, though, right? Because it was overnight. Sure. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it was the eleventh to the twelfth. One of the two. Yeah. But yeah, April twelfth is the one that's like most commonly recorded, and it was in nineteen twelve, and that's how I remember it. I think the Titanic might have sank the same day that Fenway Park opened. Ooh. Yes, I believe that is a true fact. That's a fun but fact. I know it's the same I, year. I will research. Yes, that is your that is your job. <laughs> Save it for next week. Um, I I know that 1912 was the year that Fenway opened. Um, mm. and 1914 was Wrigley. Oh, and you've been to Fenway. I have not. I'm Loved jealous. It. Loved it. Fantastic. Definitely go. Definitely go if you have the chance. I mean, the the three ballparks that I always wanted to go to were Wrigley, Fenway, and the original Yankee Stadium. Can't do that. Two out so. of three. Two out of three is good, no, but those no are the two oldest. Camden, Camden's um, pretty cool, isn't it? I hear good things. I don't know. Camden's you hear like about the Yankees and the Red Sox and the history of the teams. Camden Yards okay. is. Yeah, yes, I mean the but, the yeah. Orioles. The Orioles don't have as rich a history as, as the Yankees, Red Sox, or Cubs, or or even White Sox. I would I would say. Um, the, oh, the, the good to know we rank above somebody. Thank you so much. <laughs> the, the significance kind of, of Camden Yards is it's like the first of the wave of sort of new retro ballparks. It's got a very retro feel. Um, I'm thinking of Pittsburgh redesign or rebuilt Philadelphia rebuilt Detroit since then. So it, it started a trend in, in baseball of um you know sort of reconstructing these retro looking stadiums rather than these cookie cutter you know, um, multi-use stadiums that Cincinnati, St. Louis used to have and Pittsburgh too. So, uh, Owen, oh, what else you got? 
I uh, actually wanted to expand on, on John Wilkes Booth. So oh. that occurred in 1865 at Ford Theater in Washington, D.C. When he um, shot Abraham Lincoln, he exclaimed, I guess, six semper tyrannis, the South is avenged, which um, means ever thus to tyrants, the South is avenged. Um, and he jumped off the stage and he fled and he actually did make it out of Washington, D.C., um, he broke his left leg upon jumping from the balcony. And uh, I did not know this until recently, but this was actually part of a plot. Um, John Wilkes Booth was a Confederate. And prior to him shooting Abraham Lincoln, the original plan was to capture Abraham Lincoln. Um, but a few weeks, that was supposed to happen a few weeks prior to the actual shooting. Um, Abraham Lincoln did not show up to where John Wilkes Booth thought he was going to, so the plan was scrubbed. And then the South actually, um, uh, what's the word? Um, gave up, I guess. Uh, surrendered. Vindicated. They yeah, actually was, vindicated. Yeah. Um, so then the they surrendered. Plan, the plan changed, and they were going to kill him, trying to re-jumpstart the uh, initiative Civil for War. the South. Um, yep. And Andrew Johnson and Secretary of State William Seward were also involved in the murder plot. Wow. Um, so there was, and it was in a couple different locations. It was actually really cool to read about. Um, trivia question for you, Brady. What was the name of the play that Abraham Lincoln was attending? Um, it's My American Something. My American Son? Our American Son? Kelsey, I'm so, I'm so close, him? aren't I? No, but I know that there's a whole episode of West Wing that's devoted to them going to Ford Theater to watch it. I... It was it was called Our American Cousin. Oh, that's I was Ooh, wrong, yeah, wrong family member. Close. That was very yeah. close. Oh, and hey, do, you, do you if remember? If I give partial credit, I would give that. But no. <laughs> do you remember going to Ford's Theater? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was Washington D.C. was by far one of my favorite vacations as a kid, and that bypasses any amusement park, water park, anything. I. I fell in love with Washington, D.C. I love American history and really enjoy history class. So I've yep. never um, been. Go. You, come on. Yeah, I know. Definitely take the opportunity. <laughs> take the boys. I they'll love it. Yeah. Never it, been to Springfield either. I didn't take either of those trips. Yeah, you're not missing much in Springfield, uh, okay. but D.C. is pretty damn cool. Uh, I, I'm also in the same boat, Owen. I love American history. And um, if I remember correctly, there's a museum underneath Ford's Theater, and I think the murder weapon is on display. Could be rough. Hope sounds it's like not sounds like next week. Um, okay, what else? Um, which backtracking just really quick. My source was the History Channel for that because I'm sick of us saying they. I found sources. <laughs> the History Channel was my source. Second topic. Um, so proud of you. Uh, Jack was the the name of the uh, last guest, mm -hmm. and he. What you guys found interesting was that he does not really watch golf. So some other athletes that. Um, have said whether in an interview or um, whatever that they don't really watch or pay attention to sports Floyd Mayweather Serena Williams Bubba Watson Andre Agassi and Joe DiMaggio were all listed in a couple different articles from Bleacher Report and The Guardian um, the, the funny one was Floyd Mayweather um, they were talking about I should I shouldn't say they but the conversation was around um <laughs> who he should fight next and Ronda Rousey at the time was, was this incredible uh, MMA prodigy. And 
um, like, oh, Ronda Rousey would be a, an opponent. Would you fight Ronda Rousey? And he's like, I don't know who he is. He said he, <laughs> and then he backtracked and was like, sorry, I don't watch sports. Yeah. Um, Which is funny yeah. because he bets on sports all the time. I, I guess he doesn't really watch too heavily. He does. He, he did say football and basketball. He he does pay attention to, but that's about it. He's not a sports fanatic. Hmm. Interesting. Um. All right, moving on. Water per day, Kelsey. How is the 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 diet going? One week later. It's so far just a water and movement diet because <laughs> my package has not come yet. Oh. Uh, all right, um, we'll, that, we'll check back in next week on it. Yes, next week you guys can ask me how it's going. It's supposed to arrive tomorrow, so maybe we'll start Thursday. We'll see. So two sources on the recommended amount of water per day. Um, from Harvard in 2020, had an article saying four to six cups. And the uh, Mayo Clinic in October of 2020, 15 and a half cups for males and 11 and a half for females, and I'm actually going to fact check myself because <laughs> and a, and a, cu- and a sudden, cup being eight ounces, and a half right? Seems like a weird number. That's a lot. That's a lot, and and a it cup being eight ounces, right? Eight ounce cup, right? <laughs> like we're all agreed that a yeah. cup is yeah. eight ounces. Fifteen cups from Mayo Clinic. Holy cow! Yeah, that's a lot. So I have to tell you that I am averaging four of these twenty-three ounces a day, and that's pretty darn good so yeah. i'm proud of myself but so 15 I cups constantly yeah. as we noted last episode 15 cups for a man would be 120 ounces and Woo! 11 cups for a female would be about 88 ounces i'm getting about that yeah mayo clinic would be proud of me there you go or 3.7 liters and 2.7 liters we're american what... here we don't talk yeah. in liters <laughs> i'm sure um, all and... of our listeners enjoy our talk of metric here yeah um, and the last thing we were talking about, uh, or Jack had mentioned that in, in golf and uh, I'm sorry, I'll back up in collegiate golf. There are only five members that participate in a match, um, on the team. And he said, um, that he believed that that was the smallest like game day roster in sports. So I fact checked him, um, <laughs> polo, uh, not water polo, equestrian polo is the smallest that I could find in my research through a horse network um they have four players and the funny thing about polo is that they have 50 horses used per match wow whoa so the sub for eight players or yeah uh eight players and two referees is like 52 horses holy cow because in polo uh they don't call them periods or quarters, they call them chuckers or chuckers. <laughs> um, they are seven and a half minutes long. And depending on where you're playing kind of dictates how many there are in a given match. And each chucka, you hop on a new horse. Fresh horses. Fresh that horses. makes sense. Makes sense because you don't want to, you know, tire the horse out. I mean, those things are powerful, but as we know, they uh, they require maintenance and, and rest just as humans do. Did so. you did you happen to see um, what kind of horses are used in polo? I would guess quarter horses for quick acceleration. I would but too. Yeah. I can research. <laughs> <laughs> Follow up. <laughs> um, and yeah, Brady, going back to your uh, initial question, um, the path to becoming a professional golfer, um, which that interview I thought with Jack was awesome and. Um, gave a lot of insight to the path 
that one takes. And, and while we look at people like Tiger Woods and Roy McElroy and um, compared to other levels of professional sports, you just kind of assume that, you know, these guys are, you know, the path is easier than you might think. And there's a very black and white line between you and I playing golf and those guys playing golf. Um, <laughs> but in the time that it took me to, to look this up there, it is a, a very challenging pathway to become a professional golfer just to become a professional golfer not to mention on the pro tour um so the the basic quick hits that i could find on the path to become a pro tour a lot of it talked about develop your skills early um it is encouraging to play collegiate golf um though it is, it is not required and i can't remember her name but there's a female pro golfer on the L- lpga <laughs> Who, they went, said. Yeah, <laughs> who went to Stanford but did not play golf because she was on the pro tour playing golf. Oh. Interesting. Um, but the, the basic pathway to becoming a professional golfer, aside from playing frequently and, and you know, developing your game, um, it, it really starts with becoming pro, which Jack talked about. And um, once you, you make the you jump You can't just amateur, declare that you're pro, though, right? Like Michael oh. Scott declaring bankruptcy. You can't just say, I'm a professional golfer now. No, I mean, you really have to go to school for it. Um, and there are there's some coursework um, and, and uh, tests and, and things like that. And I, I remember I had a buddy in college who actually, before coming to Northern Illinois, um, was going to basically golf school in, in Arizona and kind of wow. had the, the dream to become a pro golfer. Um, but yeah, you got to go through some coursework and, and I'm sure it costs a little bit of money. Um, but once you declare yourself a pro, you basically want to play in these um, – tournaments that are kind of designated throughout or by the PGA, the most popular kind of um, group is the Corn Ferry Tour, which uh, Jack said that he is uh, a, a part of. Um, but to become a, a pro tour member, there are some requirements involved. And let me bring up my handy dandy Google. Um, so to earn your PGA Tour card, and this is via golf link, um, you can earn a PJ tour card by being in the top 50 in a four tournament playoff series um, to be played by the top 75 players from the corn Ferry tour, along with players who finished 126 through 200 on the PGA tour. And that's basically referencing oh. Q school Q school costs about $10,000. If my, cow. if my addition was correct um, to be a part of it's a, it, like a four, um, level there's like four sections to it and each one costs a certain amount of money um but you have to pay a large sum of money just to get into q school which is very challenging um you can earn a tour card by winning three corn Ferry tour tournaments in one season be a former major champion be a former multiple tournament winner or earn enough fedex cup points as a non-pga tour member to rank in the top 125 if the golfer was a member which is a very confusing sentence. <laughs> yeah. I have follow-ups. Oh, and I want to know how some of our favorite golfers got where they are. I want to know their paths. Right now. So, no, no, no. God, no. It's going to take some okay. research. <laughs> yeah. So Brady's going to come up with three golfers. Okay. That are either topical or his favorite. We're going to hear next week about their path to success. Oh, and I'll, I'll give you three right now. Um Ooh. Rory McIlroy, and we, we can use Rory maybe for all 
European golfers, because I'm thinking of uh, someone like Tommy Fleetwood or Henrik Stenson, um, Lee Westwood as European golfers uh, making okay. it in the American Pro Tour. Um, I like it. Jordan Spieth and Ricky Good Fowler. Good old All-American boy. That's right. And then, and then Ricky Fowler. We're not going to do our Masters winner? Um, maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm mad at Hideki Matsuyama winning. I just I I wanted some drama on Masters Sunday. We yeah, didn't get you any don't drama. Feel vindicated. <laughs> <laughs> we we were we were on our way to some drama, and then Shoffley yeah. took a shit. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyone who's been following along on our Instagram, our newly created Instagram. Yeah, we haven't page. even mentioned that yet. We yeah, buried no, the lead. it was a big yeah. week for us guys. We have a Google Sheet now. Instagram. We are going places, so. <laughs> and our our Instagram <laughs> handle is Kelsey. Uh oh no, I don't remember. And we went through a great debate about this. I think it's <laughs> AWB Space Podcast. I think it's underscore. Right. A- well, a- yeah, but AWB space underscore, and underscore podcast. Are the same you know what? I'm going to edit this part them. out because this is not very confident <laughs> in, the, in the podcast. <laughs> okay, ask me again. What is? So Kelsey, just, what's our what's our what's our Instagram handle? It's AWB for And We're Back Space Podcast. That's AWB Podcast. Very good. Yeah, we'll, we'll post links to the, uh, the Instagram <laughs> handle for sure. Um, okay, so uh, I do want to get to our guest here in, in just a minute, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give him the full introduction. But uh, we, we've had the idea of you, Kelsey, bringing one sports topic to the page or to the, to the podcast every week and me bringing one non-sports topic to just, you know, talk about for a minute or two. So what do you got? I have, because I was looking at the sports calendar, and yes, I have one of those. It's in our Google folder, if you guys want to take a look, <laughs> um, to see what we would be talking about. Um, so I cheated a little bit. Boston Marathon was listed in the upcoming days, and I said, mm, I wonder if that's still going to run. So I looked it up, and uh, we have an article by Julia Remick. So I'm referencing my, instead of a they, from the Heights, you're welcome. Uh, Bostonians face another Patriots Day without the Boston Marathon. So last year, the Boston Marathon was pushed, again, COVID, um, to September 14th, assuming that they were gonna be able to do it in person. They weren't, and in fact, it took place from September 7th to September 14th. This year, people were hopeful that they would be able to have a really big 125th, and sadly, it's not going to take place in April. They're hoping it can take place October 11th. Okay, so I, yeah, I, I had seen the headline. I didn't dive too much into the article, but I was assuming that it would just take place at its normal time, but virtually. But they're still going to try to hold it in person. They are trying to hold it in person, and for that reason, they've moved it to October, and they are hoping that they will be in phase four of step two of the reopening plan. Currently, they're in phase four of step one, Um, and so they're also going to limit the field size to 20,000, which is bonkers to me that there are 20,000 people who want to run a freaking Well, hey, you saw the Texas Rangers had full capacity on opening day for uh, however many thousands of people are in that stadium. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the fact that 20,000 people in the world want to run a marathon. Oh, it's a a big thing for some people. Absolutely crazy. I will never understand it. I'm just going to sit here and drink my water. (laughs) So you Um, you said like October 11th or 10th, which is Yeah, the 11th, and I wonder if they're targeting maybe like a Columbus Day? Well, they're, they're 
in direct competition then with when the Chicago Marathon normally is. It's usually that same weekend. So I don't know if Chicago has said anything about whether or not they're going to plan on running the marathon, but traditionally it's it's that that Sunday, I believe. Um, that second Sunday in October is the Chicago Marathon. And I, I believe that Ooh, the, Sunday, October 10th, Chicago Marathon 2021. I, I think a lot of runners actually use the Chicago Marathon to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Yeah. Isn't Boston like the big one mm-hmm. in, in America? Yeah. Yep. I don't uh, run, so I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe the reason being that it's uh, a flat road race and therefore people get faster times. You talking Chicago or, or Boston? Is, is Both. A, oh, Both. Oh, okay. Cool. Good to know. I wonder if maybe they are trying to split the racing community because they're capping entrance. Um, Possibly. So maybe they're trying to split it. I don't know. That's interesting. Hopefully, follow this up, is... please, for, uh, Owen. Yeah, we need, we need some thoughts on that. And and hopefully, this is the last year we have to deal with all this. Hopefully, um, yeah. yeah, by twenty twenty two, we're uh, essentially back to normal. Um, my non-sports related topic is that today I saw an article that um, White Claw, you guys are familiar with White Claw. Um, oh, come on, Brady. <laughs> they, they are going to start producing. Yeah, uh, they start. They're going to start producing a uh, a new blend. I guess you might call it a blend. Um, that's 8% alcohol, which is more than the normal 5%. When we start talking about 8% alcohol drinks, we're, we're starting to talk like IPA range alcohol. Um, I'm curious to look into the nutritional facts because the big draw for White Claw for me is the lack of carbs uh, in there. And the, you know, the, the, you know, quote unquote keto that I'm following is uh, very restrictive on carbs. So White Claw is not quite a go-to because I've found better seltzers with, uh, with no carbs, actually. Corona Seltzer and Crook and Marker come to mind as, as no, no carb seltzers. So those are usually the go-to, but White Claw, you know, I, I don't mind having a few White Claws here and there. I got real drunk on White Claw the first time I had it. It tasted like water. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. It goes down really it's a easy. a real problem. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the 8% goes down a little harder and maybe Probably. I would be wiser. I would imagine. there would just be bigger trouble. They said they're bigger cans too. So I'll, I'll be interested to Ooh. see them in the market if they're going to sell them more as singles or if they will sell them in like a six-pack. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So that's um, gonna take down a lot of moms. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah, and, and sorority girls, going, right? <laughs> going over that one. Um, well, it, I mean, it's interesting. You know, my my previous job was was for a beer distributor, and as I was leaving the beer distributor, the seltzer boom was really starting to hit, and mm. anybody and everybody is coming out with these hard seltzers. I remember the first one I ever tried was was Truly, and in my opinion, Truly has probably the least flavor out of all of them. Um, and so I was like, this is disgusting. This is never going to sell. Well, here we are three years later. Little and it's, did yeah, you Yeah, it's know. the most popular thing in the market right now, basically. You silly man. <laughs> Thank goodness you're not actually in the trend part of the business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so our guest this week, Kelsey, is um, uh, a friend of mine. From, he's from New York. He is a basketball and lacrosse official in New York, and I wanted to have him on because uh, for a couple reasons um, to talk about the officiating industry as a whole and uh, some of the misconceptions. And I mean, people just don't know a lot about 
officials, sports officials in general, and that, hey, we're real people. Uh, we don't just come out of our hole, go ref the game, and then go back to our hole. We actually have lives outside of officiating. So uh, talk a little bit, little bit about that, some of the misconceptions about the industry. And then he's built this brand called Crown Refs. And uh, I stumbled upon it a few years ago, sort of randomly, but um, it, it was at the humble beginnings. But he's built it into this you know, huge brand within the community and puts out a lot of great content, does a lot of different things with it. So uh, looking forward to talking to Paul. Uh, let's get to that right now. Foul. No, two fouls. Foul? I didn't touch anybody. Look, Jackie, people can't just go flying in the air like that. It can't be a foul without touching another player, and it can't be traveling without first establishing a pivot foot. That's right. Two points, Father Pat. It is two points. Kelsey, if you know me, which I know you do, um, I spend my winter time um, running up and down high school basketball floors. And um, it's a it's a well, I don't know if hobby is the right word because I, I get paid to do it. Um, but it's it's something <laughs> that um, no I longer qualifies as a hobby. then. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it's a paid <laughs> hobby, a paid exercise. I might I might term it as. But um, yeah, I've, I've been really loving my high school basketball officiating career and uh, someone who. Uh, I met recently and, and, and has built a brand all his own is Paul Diaspera. Paul, welcome. How are you, man? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'll, g I'll give Kelsey the backstory here. So uh, was it was it 2018, Paul, or was it 2019 when you started Crown Refs? Started it, um, officially launched the page probably March of 2018. Okay. Um, but I really got going with the content probably in, uh, November of that year. So okay. late, late 2018. Okay. So I remember, um, just out of curiosity, searching Apple and Spotify one night looking for, uh, podcasts about officiating because there's certainly a lot to talk about. Uh, if we really wanted to dive into the nitty gritty of talking about different plays and philosophies and, and all that, um, you don't care about that, but I, uh, I just wanted to give you some context here. I stumbled upon uh, Paul's podcast. It must have been, Paul, right after you launched. Um, your first episode was you, and I forget your your buddy's name, who you who you had on. Um, Mr. Right Pink. Up. Mr. Pink, that's right. That's right. You, mu you must be a fan of Reservoir Dogs, right? Say we I can't answer that. So I think if I remember correctly, the first episode was you guys just kind of just kind of shooting the shit about some plays you saw over the weekend and mechanics. And uh, I think he was a newer official at the time. So, you know, you're helping him, um, you know, talk about, you know, what to do in certain certain situations, signaling mechanics, you know, all that good stuff. And you've built it to this. Um, uh, I don't know if I can call it multinational, but it's it's a huge thing now in the officiating world. So so kudos to you on that. Um, if you could take us through a little bit of the backstory of, of Crown Refs from your side and um, uh, just a little summary of how it's been going. Well, thanks for saying everything you did. I uh, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so, you know, I got rolling with, with Crown Refs, you know, in the spring of 2018. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it yet. I knew I wanted to connect with as many officials as I could on the internet. Um, so I attacked Instagram at first and just tried finding as many refs as possible. I would, I would click, you know, search basketball referee or hashtags and then scroll through people's pages and, and make sure they found they were wearing a Jersey, a uniform. Mm -hmm. And then I would add because I'm, I, I wasn't just going to run through everybody's page and click add, add, add. I wanted to build an organic 
um, audience of basketball officials. So I had to confirm that they were an official before I added them. And that's all I did early on was what I call ref hunting. I would just go and try to connect and search yeah. and, and follow, right. Um, as many referees as I could in this one space. So fast forward a few months later, and I know you referenced Mr. Pink. That's really where, um, our, our long form video content started. We just, um, we were working together and we were having these great conversations, uh, before work. And he would just ask me great questions. He was a sponge. He just really wanted to to learn. And he was asking the right questions. And and he gave me a platform to teach. So I, we would have these long, long conversations. And after about the third one, I'm like, you know, this, bro, we're 45 minutes in here. We've been talking nonstop. We have we have to record this. Yeah. I said, this will help a lot of people. You know, at least one referee would would have watched this and said, wow, this is this is good stuff. So um, finally we recorded it and we did 12 episodes of a show called The Basketball Shop. And that was really my first content series that uh, gained some, some awareness throughout the officiating com uh, community. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it was something, you know, as you, as you were just starting out, um, I think you were uh, releasing something every Friday. So it was great to pop on on my way to a game on a Friday night and start to get in the headspace. Because you pumped I, up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I know Paul knows what I'm talking about. And, and Kelsey, we talked about this a little bit with when we talked about the National Early Anthem. On. Um, yeah. Just how you have to be in a certain headspace, a certain focus level to officiate, especially basketball, where you're making hundreds of decisions um, every yeah. game. And so it, it really helped start to get me in that mindset for, for that Friday night game. So um, I, I do want to dive into uh, the content creation and, and how you've you know uh, gone about building this brand, how you've connected with some okay. Some of the officials uh, that you've connected with, um, but first, uh, you know, just about the the industry itself, Paul. Um, and and I, I put out on Instagram uh, some suggestions or requests for some suggestions for questions <laughs> about about the industry because I, I I think some people feel like we just grow on trees and show up to a game and then go back into our hole, but we're we're real people, right? Well, listen, that's what we're trying to do with, with Crown Refs and Officially Human is humanize officials because, like you said, there is zero respect for referees, at least from at least like big picture sportsmanship from the top level to the bottom. Overall, the sportsmanship is 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 bad because because, um, you know, you don't have there could be a ton of uh you know, good, uh, good people that show great sportsmanship, but the, the few and the small percentage speaks volumes and it rings throughout every gym in the country, whether you're in Illinois on a Sunday for an AAU game or in Georgia for a Friday night varsity game, it's there, it's embedded in the culture. For some reason, people just don't like referees. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like <laughs> basketball gets at the worst because we're so close um, to the action? I can't speak on that because you know I've never done soccer. I would say you know soccer worldwide is uh, you know seems pretty violent. So I mean I don't want to you know compare sports, but the sports I do, I do girls across, and we were just speaking before the show. I mean they Ooh. cheer for you when you leave the field. They wow. say thank you, parents. Thank you, other team. Thank you, coaches. Thank you, officials. So that just goes <laughs> to show you the the difference in culture. You won't hear me uh, speaking about bad sportsmanship really in girls across because it's just a way different vibe, but basketball is really, really bad. Um, so I'm just trying to change that. I'm trying to put out content that puts pressure in the right spots on the right people to maybe influence change. And I think it has to happen through content and through videos and pictures and documenting what happens and documenting what's going on 
across the country and really across the world. Yeah. And, and Kelsey, I don't know if um, you ca- in your research, you came across uh, any articles about a, like a nationwide official sor- shortage, but that's a big reason why. I mean, we, we can't get younger officials to start and stay because mm-hmm. after a couple of years, they just they just feel like I don't want to deal with this shit and they leave. It's like a few years in customer service, <laughs> essentially. <Yeah. laughs> well, I'm a customer service manager in case you were curious. <laughs> Nobody I'm likes them either. <laughs> yeah. Telemarketer, um, door-to-door Yeah, exa- exactly. Uh, traffic cops, you know, we're yeah. in that, that category. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. My, my sister was a rugby player in college. Um, and they used to do three cheers for the other team, three cheers for the referee, three cheers mm. for the winning team and all that. So it's something I'm familiar with. And I think that's interesting. But what other sports have you worked on, Paul? Well, just girls across and field hockey. Um, and I also did girls basketball for about four years. Uh, that was the second sport I was certified in. I started with boys basketball, wanted to work more games and there's mm-hmm. more opportunity on the girls side, became a women's official. Um, so four sports is the most, where'd you guys go? Where'd you go? Come back. <laughs> her, hey, her, her, her son, Ben was, uh, was trying to peek in there. So, <laughs> hey, Ben. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, girls basketball wins, you've done high school and college basketball, right? Uh, yes. High school on the women's side, high school and college on the men's side. Okay. What would you say the biggest differences between high school and college basketball, just in general, not, not even from like a, a game perspective, but just, just in general? Well, it, it, w- it would just have to be specific to the level, right? Because if, if we're talking about a junior college or a division three game, there's going to be some high school games that might be better than that. Mm-hmm. It might be better to work than that, right? Um, but as you start to move up, I would say the biggest difference is that D2 level the jump from d3 to d2 it's fast it's a lot faster i remember i worked my first d2 game it was a scrimmage and the the first possession i jumped on the court i was in lead walls whipping around up up top and and guys are cutting at 100 miles an hour and i'm just reffing all these cutters and like it felt like i was reffing 20 players and i had a block charge play early on i called it a I called it a charge, but looking back, I think he was in the RA. I never had a chance to watch the film. I don't think the scrimmages at that time, they didn't put it out. Yeah. um, So, yeah. uh, So I would say definitely the speed, the athleticism, uh, R2, that jump out. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I I know COVID certainly affected everybody in different ways. Um, From an officiating standpoint for you, because you're you're in New York. Uh, Are you you near the city or where, where in New York are you? Yeah, I'm about 20 minutes north of the city. Okay. I work at a school. I've uh, been a phys ed teacher in New York City in the Bronx at PS18 for since 2011. Okay. So, so, yeah, so how did how did COVID affect high school basketball uh, in and around New York City? So for a while, we didn't we didn't think we were going to have a season. You know, we watched we watched a lot of other states kind of roll out their season and and. New Yorkers are just hmm. sitting and watching and saying, wow, I don't think it's going to happen this year. <laughs> right. And I didn't think it was going to happen up until like January. And then what I, it happened and what I call it was just a flash season. It was basically all of February. You know, I, I worked pretty much every day in February, a little bit into March. But yeah, so, you know, we didn't have games for a long time. There was no gyms open, um, no AAU, you know, no uh, CYO no high school, nothing, except for a few underground leagues that I might have worked at. 
Yeah, you're, I not, believe you're, not, that. you're not alone there. I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, so we uh, New York was without it for a while, but it looks like, you know, I just worked my first AAU tournament. They allowed fans in, so we're looking good. Yeah, it's it sounds pretty identical to what uh, my high school season was like here in Illinois. Um, we started right about the same time, uh, early February, and I think March 12th or 13th was, was my last game. So uh, 45 games in five weeks, uh, just like you, working on just about every night, except for Sundays. I, I was lucky to, to have Sundays off. So, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think? I mean, maybe it's unknown, but what do you think about November? Are we going to be – refereeing in masks is it is it still going to be 50 cent capacity gym what, what what do you think i break out the crystal ball here here is the crystal ball all right the crystal ball is if you don't know don't blow so i have no idea what's gonna happen <laughs> in november so and i don't think anybody else does so for me to sit here and pontificate Yes, gyms will be back to 75% capacity. There will be masks required, but there must be a three-foot distance in between each fan. You know, so I would love to say we are headed back to, you know, where we were in, well, you can't, we'll never be back, you know, to 2019. But you would like to think that um, fans will be back at normal capacity. But, you know, we're just, just blessed to be working games right now. Um, you know, it's nice to have fans in the gym and for the games, they're a huge part of the game, but most important is we have games back. So if there's, you know, we've had games this season, we'll definitely have games next season. Brady keeps trying to get people to guess what it's going to be okay. like down the road and everyone <laughs> shuts him down. Yeah. Everyone's like, we can't, no one guesses? what do you, yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Everyone's been like, no, you can't tell. It's, it's too hard to tell. Yeah. And he just keeps asking. Cause he really wants to know <laughs> a few, a few weeks ago, we, we had a nurse on it and she was just like, I have no idea. Not a clue. Yeah. Um, luckily I've, I've started my vaccination series. So, uh, that'll make me feel a little bit better getting back to getting back to doing some basketball in November. But, um, yeah, I guess I guess you're right. We'll we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we, just, we just well, listen, Brady. You know what I realized a few years ago is I like being right. Yeah, well, I probably that's, always, that's why that's why like you're an official. Right. That's why I you're like an official. it so much to the point where I'm not gonna guess if I know I'll be wrong or there's a chance mm -hmm. of being wrong. And that's and that's kind of what I do with Crown Refs is I'm only putting out content I know and I and I've actually lived. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, early on, you were talking about how your your friend, Mr. Pink, was asking the right questions about refereeing, and that was what kind of led you to start. What what do you consider to be the right questions? What really started it as, this is for everybody, and everybody needs to see this and not just be a conversation with us? Because the, the game is so vast. There's so many different layers of officiating and, and uh, so many different disciplines within it uh, that we always work on. So when you're able to kind of go deep and ask specific questions about, about certain plays, it, everybody's going to wind up experiencing these plays at one time. So what we did was we just compiled like best practices for a lot of different situations. We tried to play out a lot of different situations that referees are going to kind of experience. And, you know, it, it, it was familiar to people. It was familiar. Um, but the, the right questions are just questions that, he had enough experience to where he got some reps in to where he was past that kind of beginner stage of officiating way past that. And, and he was in the hunger stage where he just had a million questions. So it wasn't nice. necessarily the question type. It was the volume as well. It was nonstop questions, 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 which creates content, right? That that's that he's getting stuff out of me that I didn't know I had, you know? So it was contagious and, um, 
just, you know, we just tried to build off that piece by piece from there. You were a teacher already at the time. I mean, you said he kind of tapped into your teaching potential, but you said you've, you've been a PE teacher since 2011. Correct. Uh, I've been a phys ed teacher in New York city for since 2010. Um, okay. I was re- referring specifically to teaching the craft of officiating too okay. there as well. Okay. So we're, we're, okay. we're doubling up with the teaching, you know, teaching <laughs> kids and, and the master teacher. <laughs> right, and, right. and you Throw have anyone a, at him. <laughs> and you have a family too. I mean, uh, how many hours are in your day, man? I mean, how do you have time for all this? I would like to know that. <laughs> I mean, badly. Listen, I would badly like to know that. <laughs> there's again, there's no, there's no answer for that. I'm not going to say Brady 17.6. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's a, it's a weird, it's an interesting combination. I'm very patient with, with the content and the vision. I've never rushed anything of crown refs. I've never put any, anything out. I didn't want to. Um, so it's been piece by piece slow, right? But every day I'm putting out a ton of stuff. Um, so when do I have, I have time? I, I do it throughout the day. Obviously I'm on my phone a lot. Um, I don't watch TV. Uh, we don't have live TV here. If I need to watch a live game, I log on to my brother's Verizon account. <laughs> password. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I don't consume a lot of other content really. I don't, I don't scroll that much. Um, I'm just creating myself and, and it's so, it's so easy for me too on the phone and I'm, I'm in the app world. I'm in this tech world. I know the new products that are coming out. So I've been practicing. I've just been practicing and um, honing my craft basically. And that's that's how you've built Crown Refs, that and, and making connections with some really high-profile people in our world. Um, names like Joey Crawford and uh, Scott Foster and Roger Ayers. I mean, those interviews are just phenomenal to hear from referees we watch on TV every night. Um, what, what was that process like getting in touch with with those people? So let's let's play a funner game. Just ask me specifically which person, and I'll tell you the story. Um, the most one, uh, the the most recent one I listened to was Roger Ayers. Okay, so Roger was added to our email newsletter that goes out every Sunday. I try to put a accumulation of all the weeks, the content from the week in a Sunday or Monday newsletter, depending on when when we get around to it. And um, Roger <laughs> responded. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of you know high profile names on the email list. A lot of a lot of D1 and, and NBA refs, you can find them on email. Um, so anyway, Roger reached out to one of the, the podcasts I did with Al Batista, basically saying, great job. He actually thought it was Al. He, I, think, I think he said, great job, Al. Keep it coming or something. So I responded, thank you so much for checking out the content, Roger. Appreciate your support, Paul Diaspara. Um, and then I... Uh, <laughs> And then I think he responded again to another email, maybe a week or two later, which, you know, just gave me the access to ask. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's in the door. He likes the content. We know that. Now I ask. No problem. He wants to help out. Who's the next one? Joey Crawford. So Joey Crawford was a result from Scott Foster. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to Scott Foster and then let's actually Al Batista. Right. He was the first NBA name. That was, was going to be my next one because that that series you did with him was oh my god so insightful. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Al's a Al's a scientist and I'm very grateful for what he's contributed. Um, I knew Al before Crown Refs. He saw me ref a couple times at camp, so he knew of me. Um, and then let's see. So actually, he called Al called me off of one of my newsletters. Yeah, funny you think about it. Al Al reached out about crown refs. One of my newsletters telling me, you know, Paul, you're doing a great job. I want to help out. So I met him at a camp 
up at Purchase College. He said, yeah, come up and we'll record. I said, great. I guess I'm going to do a podcast with Al. So we recorded <laughs> right after he was the officials. He, would, he just came over for about like 20 minutes and asked him some pretty good questions about the NBA process, about camps, about talent scout. Um, and that got some pretty good buzz and notoriety throughout the industry because Al's really well respected, right? So Al, actually that, that day when I was leaving, I met another lady and I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't have her name off the top of my head. Uh-oh. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had knew her as well through phys ed. She's a referee as well. She's friends with Scott Foster. She saw that I just did a podcast with Al Batista. Hey, Paul, I, I'm friends with Scott Foster. I'd love to introduce you to him. Sure, Sheila. <laughs> I'd love that as well. There you go. You got um, her name. So, Good save. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, so she put me in touch with Scott. Uh, we did this podcast with Scott. Scott put me in touch with Joey. And that's how we got Joey. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, just, I mean, anytime you can have that sort of street cred, you know, with, with mm. you trying to put out content that's relevant and then, you know, people may not know who you are right across the country personally, but they know these names, Al Batista, Joey Crawford, uh, Kelsey, you, you probably know who Joey Crawford is. Um, if you, if you looked him up real quick, you'd, you'd recognize him. I'm sure in a heartbeat, he's, um, one of the most legendary NBA Google referees. Here. Yeah. Yep, I'll yeah. Just, yep. <laughs> um, and the stories that, that, that guy has to tell, um, Paul, I'm not going to lie. One of the one of the things I enjoy most is um, if I were to go to YouTube and um, search for old referee wired up videos. Um, there's one of Ron Garretson when he tosses. Was it our test or was it? Um, I'm sure you know the one I'm talking about. Maybe, maybe not. Describe Where he goes. it for me. So <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to do better than that, Brady. <laughs> so he, I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah, he, I'm he had, I'm getting a visual. I don't have the audio though. He he had given a tech earlier to. I think it was our test. I, I might be wrong That's on that. Not, not shocking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then our test was just staring at him after a play. So okay. Garrettson goes whack, get out, and just that that mic'd up moment of you know that sort of dialogue that you and I could never have on a high school floor, but with you know, 25,000 people in the building, they can talk like that on the NBA floor. That it's fascinating to me. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of the wired, uh, I'm looking to do some content like that. Maybe oh, in nice. the future. So stay tuned. Crown <laughs> audience. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, I do have some fun questions to get to here, uh, from some non-officials. Um, but as far as like uh, what you've done with evaluating officials, it's it's a process that I participated in. Um, you know, it's it's a service that that I paid for and uh, was well worth the money that I paid for it. Uh, just having you just put fresh eyes on a game that I did um, was such an awesome experience. So, like, where where did you get that idea? And um, I know you've continued to do it for for a lot of different officials. That's fascinating. Well, thank you. Um, you know, like I was mentioning before, I, I didn't rush anything with Crown Refs. So a lot of a lot of people asking me early on, what are you going to do? Are you going to monetize? What are you, you know, you sell merch. And I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to put out good content and see what happens and take it from there. Step by step, step by step. Um, but I'm a I'm a phys ed teacher. I'm a coach, you know, and I, and I say coach, a sports coach as well. And um, so I've always had the, you know, the the coaching blood in me. And this was an opportunity to work one-on-one. -on -one. And really, really, it's basically Crown Refs University. It's my online university. 
where an official sends me his game film. Um, I break it down. I sit and watch for about two to three hours, hitting the pause, rewind button a lot, and um, really try to give them the most information that they've ever gotten by far, because this is an industry where there's really no feedback that you can get. There's no written reports and and um, documents and all that that's that's accessible. So I just tried to create something really new and um, give people way more value than they, than they can get anywhere else. So that's what the IPR service is. Um, stands for IPR, Individual Performance Report. And uh, Brady, I believe, you, what were you, number 20 around? I was yeah, just I was, listening I was, to our- I was fairly early on, yeah. <laughs> I was just listening to uh, our episode today, episode number 80. There you go. Um, there you go. By the way, I. Let me ask you this. Did you clean up that fancy, cute butt kick run? <laughs> no. With all due respect. Oh no. I have no idea where that came from because my softball teammates give me shit for that all the time. So That's I- <laughs> amazing. So it's still active? Probably. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I- I'm-, I'm not conscious of it when I do it. So I have no idea. We're getting a big yes in the chat. <laughs> yeah. You had a professional tell you yeah. that you should stop, and you still can't stop. <laughs> so aside from my fancy uh, butt kick, as, as Paul so lovingly uh, pointed out, <laughs> um, um, Paul, uh, a couple questions before we jump into the, the fun questions from non-officials. Um, for a young official just starting out, let's say you got a hold of somebody who was just starting out, uh, what would you tell them? like three pieces of advice you would tell a brand new official. Uh, read the rule book, work as many games as you can find the best officials in the area and go connect with them and watch them and follow them. Those are three quick hitters I have for new officials. Just starting off. Got to know the book, right? You got to learn the science of it. Okay, you got to be able to practice it in all the games that you're getting. If you're not working games and you're not improving, you got to do high volume games if you want to be great, because this is really difficult uh, craft to be to be great at. Right. And then you got to you got to find partners and mentors and other officials that are ahead of you and that are better than you. And you got to surround yourself with people that are better than you. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Um you know, having having that mentor like you were to Mr. Pink, um, you know, it's it's definitely a, a, a profession, a, a, an avocation where um, it's difficult to know how you're doing because the mo- most feedback you're getting is, is negative. Right. From the stands, from the coaches uh, who, you know, they, they may know basketball, but they don't know officiating basketball. Um, so most of the time you're not going to hear, hey, ref, good call from the stands. It just doesn't happen. So, um, yeah, that's, that's good advice to get, to get some feedback from people who know what they're talking about. I suppose it goes for any profession too, right? I mean, a hundred percent, you gotta, you gotta line yourself up with people more talented than you, right? That's a good, that's a good approach. Well, and you're Uh, playing in a game with, with other co or other refs, correct? Or are you, are you ever refing a game alone? Cause I think Brady, you're often paired, aren't you? Yeah, the only time I've refed alone is uh, on like a second grade game on a Saturday morning where, you know, they're just starting out playing basketball and you don't need two officials or somebody else just didn't show up and I had to work alone. That's the only time. So is there something to that with kind of making it work in tandem with somebody who, 
either you, you know, you've never met before, or you maybe don't particularly agree with their style. I mean, is it, I imagine that that creates a lot of, or could create a lot of friction. Go ahead, Paul. And that's why I say the number one um, skill is the skill of partnering and, and being a great partner. And there's a lot of aspects of being a great partner, both on and off the court. Um, and there is a lot of friction, as you mentioned, to some crews and to some, you know, there's a lot of officials out there. We're all crossing paths. You meet some that you might not agree with all the time. So just kind of getting past uh, maybe some, uh, maybe the negative kind of part of, of partnering and, and the difference in personalities. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, you got to try to be nice to everybody. And I'm trying to promote great partnering and, and give a lot of tips on how to be a great partner. All right. We'll start the, the community. That's yeah, very cool. For sure. We'll start the Q&A here and we'll start actually from Owen texting me a question um, while we're talking here. Um, how much of refing for you, Paul, is black and white and how much of it is like a, a play just didn't look natural, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Well, listen, I think the what separates officials is the ability to maneuver in the gray area. The gray area is the largest area. I think in life, it, it, life is gray, right? It's, more things that are gray than, than are black and white, at least in my opinion. So you, but you got to know the black and white. You can't, you can't maneuver in the gray if you don't know the black and white. So learning the science is what helps you um, execute on the court. Mm -hmm. And that's the art of it. Yeah. The, the call that comes to mind a lot is, is traveling, right? And just because something looks like a travel doesn't mean it necessarily is a travel. I say, to, I say to a coach, at least once a game, I feel like awkward doesn't necessarily mean travel. Yeah, with travels, first of all, I'm not, I'm not an amazing travel official, so mm -hmm. I might not be the best to give a travel advice. Although I, I think I've gotten better. I think I've, you know, I think we all miss travels because they happen a lot and there's a lot of borderline, a lot of questionable ones. But one of my rules with travels is it's got to be obvious. Got to be 100%. Um, you don't want to go making up a travel because that's worse. And that's probably why I've missed a few because I would rather miss a couple than make make one up. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, either way, you get you get it. If you get it wrong, you get it wrong. Um, and, and here's another thing with travels. Like if you have to watch the film and look at that travel 13 different times <laughs> and rewind it seven times and clip it and then zoom in to find a better angle, then you probably should have left it alone. That makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelsey, Paul, is that the way you feel about a, a lot of different officiating? I'm I'm actually thinking specifically about football, right? And about the cameras in NFL, for example. And you know, we're we're watching the same shot from 17 different angles to see was he in bounds or out of bounds, or you know, what's what's with the it's maybe not on your level that you're working, but on maybe more professional sports where there are cameras everywhere. Is it removing the human element too much? Well, we always want to have humans referee. I don't want, we don't want to ever see it get to the point where it's just robots or it's just technology taking over, you know, um, sports has gotten so passionate that, that people just want it called correctly. So that's why they've added multiple camera angles to give the officials help. Because it is that hard. You know, this is this is like golf. So many people suck at golf. <laughs> yep, Brady. The majority <laughs> of golfers. Like, I don't know. Officiating is similar to golf, in my opinion. It's, it's really that hard. Um, but I was speaking specifically about travels, whereas mm -hmm. it's such a small 
Um, it's, it happens in such a small area of the cord. Like if you have to zoom in and find multiple, multiple angles, then that means when it was coming at you live, okay. you probably just, and it probably wasn't a travel. Yeah. Makes sense. Kelsey, you, you um, you sent out a question on our, on I my did. Instagram. Go for it. I, I would like okay. to know why referees wear black and white stripes or, or what the origin is. Is there, do you know, do you have any idea? Don't, I don't, I don't. Hold on. Let me ask Google. Let me ask Google. Because <laughs> I know there's the, there's the zebra nickname. I yep. know that yep. that's where it comes from. Right. But, and it was interesting, Paul, as you, as you Google, I'll talk. Um, you, you were talking, you guys so much about black and white and gray. And it made me laugh as, cause I was laughing to myself about it. And you're like, yeah, you got to know the black and white before you can go in the gray. And I'm thinking about, you know, NFL refs who have changed over to these gray uniforms. <laughs> like, yeah, they got their black and white done. Now they're in yeah. the gray. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because, um, a lot of, um, states have moved away from black and white stripes. Um, I've, I've seen several states go to like a gray shirt, similar to what the NBA wears. Um, okay. and the NCAA men's side went to a little variation of the black and white stripes. It kind of looks like, uh, an American gladiator logo on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think it's pretty sharp. Um, I would love to wear, uh, like a gray shirt with maybe some black pinstripes on it. I don't know. Something, something other than the black and white. Oh, stripes. you're so fancy. <laughs> Look at you go. <laughs> I, I will say though, that at least once a season, I'll be standing at the trail position, you know, out near the three-point line, and um, a team will be swinging it around the perimeter, and a very crisp chest pass will come my way because invariably one of the teams will be wearing white or black, or maybe, you know, one team is white, one team is, is wearing black, and they think I'm a player because in their peripheral they see black and white. Well, <laughs> I'm not playing, and we're just going to be going this way now. So <laughs> <laughs> at least once a season that, that happens. happens. Listen, that happened to me this season where a player was uh, dribbling down. A1, let's let's have some ref talk here. Yeah, A1's dribbling down the court. B1 oh, is, is in a legal guarding position. A1 uh, pulls up to the three-point line and passes to the official who was running by his side. <laughs> but I wanted to – I really wanted to catch the ball and shoot it. It was such a good pass. <laughs> yeah. And I was in perfect stride that I thought about it for 0.5 seconds and then I just kept running and let it go out of bounds and yeah. then I called it my ball. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh did you I come up with anything Paul? That's problematic actually when uh if and when the referee obviously unintentionally gets in the way of any kind of play. And I mean, you know what what you I guess could um ugh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> could be dangerous. I was thinking just from a play calling standpoint, you know, it's difficult to, to say, let's say the referee gets in the way of a shot of a touchdown of, you know, any of those kinds of things that really impacts the game. That's kind of interesting too. Never had one of those yeah. though, Paul. <laughs> well, I can't speak about football, but you know, the ref, the referee, we run a three person system where, where one official stays, you know, pretty close to the sideline. Mm -hmm. One, actually, they're all close to the sideline, three different sidelines. So, you know, we're never really in the way. Um, there are certain times where we get we get mixed up and, you know, it happens where we could. And and listen, we're part of the playing court. So if yeah. we do get in the yeah. way. It's on them. They yep. got to uh, adjust. Uh, so my, my friend Morgan, who I know from uh, the softball in this area, um, she was very hey, curious, actually. Um, 
So Morgan wants to know, um, do officials have to have perfect vision with proof, like a doctor's oh. note? <laughs> That's a great question. That is a great question. Yes, in order to pass your uh, official certification class, you must produce a 2020 vision result from your <laughs> eye doctor. Uh, every single year, you must upload it onto the NFA. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't need to. Oh, my God. You totally had me. <laughs> listen, I was like, That's was wild. <laughs> it was a great question. I figured I would play along. I figured I'd play along. Uh, it's a funny question, too. No, actually, you don't need to get your eyes checked. So go figure. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> um, but we probably should have good vision. That's why I eat a lot of carrots. There you go. There you go. That's what my parents told me as a, as a kid growing up was you better eat well, your carrots. Brady did Halloween a couple of years ago as a blind ref. I sure did. <laughs> it was when I, the, I've got a photo somewhere. It I'll was when it. it was when the NFL was using their replacement refs. So I I made a little joke, but uh, uh, let's this see. was before you became an official. Sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> for the purpose uh, of the podcast, right? Exactly. Uh, Morgan also wants to know, uh, and this is a really good question, uh, because it comes up a lot actually, but, um, it's actually a three part question. So I'll start with this one. What kind of training, um, for officials? What kind of training, uh, just physical training? What could you, could like, you say that again? Yeah. So what, what kind of train? I'm, I'm guessing she means like, um, like, uh, classes or, you know, mock games or scrimmages. Uh, I, I know what, what I did to, to, to sort of train, but I'm curious about your experience, Paul. Uh, it's very simple. You just go to crown refs at Instagram there or you, uh, you check out our podcast. And that's, uh, I think the best way to, for officials to train, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I think it. that's absolutely the best way. <laughs> but when you were, when you were first starting out, like, um, you know, in, in my opinion, this is a job that you very much have to learn by doing, um, and just, you know, continue to get better at it. So, when you were first starting starting out, like what what did you do to um, learn about it before maybe even you stepped on the floor? Well, I, I, I learned that I loved it, you know, probably 50, 100 games in. It wasn't until I just started working a little bit more consistently and saw the opportunity. That's where that sparked my interest. Once I it had my interest and attention, then that's when I tried to, to work hard at it. And I was fortunate enough to meet some great officials along the way that gave me a lot of great information uh, to help me develop. And I just tried to always put those, um, you know, tools in place and always keep them with me and just grow every game. And, and you got to love it. It just comes down to how much do you love it? I'm a very competitive guy in a, in a good way. Like uh, I, you know, I, I want to be as good as, as Paul Diaspara can physically and, and emotionally be right. So uh, always, always looking, you know, I have a lot of drive. So that's what's, what's kind of driven me and allowed me cr to create this vehicle called the crown refs, um, to share what I've learned. Awesome. Um, and then two parter here, how much do officials make and is their travel paid for? Well, it just depends, uh, what type of game. So why don't, why don't I, is she there? Can we, no. can we make this interactive? She's not here, unfortunately. Okay. Well, Okay, so then we'll we'll give you a range. I mean, it's just a range. It depends on the level. Let's say we're doing, and it depends on the state too. So I can only speak really in New York. Um, and so if we're doing basketball, it's like thirty anywhere from thirty to a youth game to um, you know one hundred and twenty for a varsity game to a couple I need hundred to move dollars to New York. for a, a low level. <laughs> 
college game. What'd you say? I said, I, I, I need to move to New York. We get half of that for a varsity game here. It's yeah, ex- I know. You just live in New York, though, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's always a balance there. You take <laughs> it's a tough market. But, <laughs> yeah. It's a nice but, fate. Listen, it's a great second job. It's a great side hustle. And there's a small percentage of officials that get to make it their full-time job because they're good enough to be either in the NBA, the WNBA, the G League, Division One, um, FIBA, you know, but it's a small percentage. Right. Most of the industry, this is our side, our night job, our, our weekend job. And and for the most part, we are independent contractors. So we technically work for ourselves. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm my own business. That's the way I look at <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, you should have an agent, Brady. I should. We should get you an agent. I should. You want to be my agent, Kels? No, I think being your co-host is enough. Fair. That's fair. I've already invited myself into plenty of your life, I think. But um, the Jackies are uh, are leaving uh, Arlington, yeah. so you yeah. have some some help there, maybe. <laughs> uh, last question here from Morgan. Um, this is interesting. Um, how do they not have favorite teams? Do they ref in their hometowns? Ooh, or your kids? I imagine you don't ref your kids. I haven't refed my daughter yet. I'd love to ref one of her games. She's three, so it'll be in a few years, but I would love, oh. but I would never, I would never ref like a serious game. If she ever yeah. made it to varsity, I won't be refing her varsity game. Probably not. Um, so yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Could you, could you say I won't? Yeah. So she, again? she wanted to know how do we as officials not have favorite teams and do we ref in our hometowns? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I ref in my hometown uh, all the time. Probably the majority of my games uh, are in my hometown or, or at least in the general vicinity. So, um, but as far as favoritism, listen, you can't be a referee. If you have a favorite team, you, you've assigned, you've signed up to go to the quote unquote dark side. So um, there's no more, there's no more favorites. There's no more bias. You're just for the game. Now you're a purebred official who is running the game and is, and is unbiased. Yeah, I've I've been to my my high school alma mater a bunch, um, and to to ref games. And uh, you know, I I don't know any of the players. I, I have no connection to the players or their families. So I, I find it really easy to be impartial when when I go back there. Um, and I, I've I've lived in this area for a long time. Um, so yeah, I, I just found it you know pretty easy to be impartial. Um, I would have a hard time refereeing an Indiana basketball game though. <laughs> I don't uh, think you'll be asked any. No, I, I, I will not. I will not. But I, <laughs> if I were, I, I, what's that? Are you speaking about a particular incident? No, it's just, um, uh, you know, I, I went to college at Indiana university and, um, I find myself fanboying over the Hoosiers more than any other team almost <laughs> other than the Cubs probably. So yeah, it, it'd be hard for me to do an IU game. <laughs> All right, Paul, we've taken up too much of your uh, your Tuesday night here. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this. And, uh, man, this this was good stuff. I know um, not, not just basketball officials will be interested, but people who don't know much about the officiating industry, I think, will find it valuable, too. So thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much, Paul. Thanks a lot, Kelsey. This was a lot of fun. Talk to you guys soon. So thanks again to Paul for jumping on with us here this week. Uh, Crown Refs on Instagram, Crown Refs on Facebook is where you can find all of his stuff. If you're 
If you're interested in becoming uh, specifically a basketball official, you can you can get in touch with me through Instagram. Uh, I, I'd be glad to point you in the right direction. Uh, we need officials, so you know, it's sort of a shameless plug for for becoming an official. But uh, hopefully, that helps clear up some of the misconceptions um, uh, of what it's like to be a sports official. Um, one thing before we get to our guest next week, Kels, um, I did want to uh, mention one Instagram suggestion that came in. Uh, our friend Ryan Latkin wanted us to talk about him. So, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, and his lovely wife, Krisha, just became chicken owners. And that's going to tie in nicely with our guest next week. And they live in Rolling Meadows. And um, Rolling Meadows just a year or two ago passed a law that you're now allowed to own chickens. So, Ryan, congratulations on your chickens. I did see that they got eight instead of the limit of six. So, my question to him is, when's dinner? Jesus. <laughs> Next week's special guest is going to be uh, one of the women responsible for helping to put that, I believe, provisional ordinance, at least it was for the last year, in place. Uh, that's my sister, Lauren Gallucci, uh, former zookeeper and general still zookeeper in her home, uh, <laughs> including her six chickens. Hers are legit. Um, no, no extra chickens there. So, you know, you can only have the eggs, not the actual chickens. Go away, Brady. Um, Lauren will be joining us next week as we come up on Earth Day, um, and hopefully we'll be able to find out if Ryan's chickens are legal or not. And uh, <laughs> until then, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Brady. And we'll be back. <laughs>